Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Mike, and not Mike and Laurent. <laughs> it is Friday, December 23rd. Wow, Christmas is upon us. In this episode, we'll review the full Carabao Cup quarterfinal results. United in action, City in action, Liverpool in action. Wowie wow. And check in with where we are in the Premier League. But first, the Premier League is back. I forgot where we were. And on Boxing Day, a tradition like no other. Uh, everyone who knows and follows the Premier League knows that this is called the festive period, the festive fixtures. Historically, this has been a very crazy time when we separate teams from each other. You'll get teams playing on Boxing Day, then on the 29th, then on the 1st, then they'll have an FA Cup fourth round. So normally this time of year, you'll play five games in two weeks it really is a separating time. It really is a time to find out what teams are made of. And while this season is different than normal, because we just had the World Cup, we do have to get right back into it. There's no rest for the weary. There's no break for anybody, except for players who weren't playing. And some of the narratives about where we were and where we are, we have to really pick back up and see where we are. The championship in England is playing for two weeks. I watched my beloved friends in Burley play. Uh, they did lose to United, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, my friend Vincent Company, I did follow along on West Brom. Prayers for West Brom. They're having financial troubles, so be on the lookout for that. And then our friends at Nottingham Forest also got through. So a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of fun stuff. And this is, you know, we just came off this amazing World Cup where we talked about football in a completely different context where we have to get into national sides and teams that are limited and you can't talk about transfers. There are no transfers. And for folks that are new to the pod or new or coming off the internationals and back streaming back into the, into the league, these are two different kinds of sports. Um, it's kind of like, what's the best way to put it? It's kind of like a, a, uh, a playoffs versus regular season or or um, NCAA tournament versus versus regular season or, or or just your league games versus whatever. It's just a different style of play. So while everything is running on those three games in your group stage and then your quarterfinal games and extra legs and extra time and penalties, we're now back to trying to get back into steady rhythms, trying to put on performances because results don't always come your way. And just being steady and going on from game to game to game and piling good results on good performances and good performances and trying to get your team moving forward up the table again. But the first thing I want to do before we get into the full Boxing Day fixture list, which is on Monday, December 26th, let us go and review the Carabao Cup. Now, we, Mike and I, do joke about the Carabao Cup, the Carabao Cupity Cup Cup. It is a maligned tournament. Uh, City and Liverpool are tied on the most finals. I think 17 each or some ridiculous number like that. They each have five in the last 30 years or something ridiculous. City most recently won four in a row. And then Liverpool are defending champs. We just completed the round of 16. And we'll go through who the quarterfinal matchups are. So first, on Tuesday... 
just the World Cup was barely over. They ended on Sunday. Wolves was playing Gillingham on Tuesday. They won 2-0. Southampton beat Lincoln City. The Imps, the Imps who are now, strangely, local issue, now a sister club to SD Loyal. I don't know what that means. Southampton go through. Newcastle defeat Bournemouth in a complete battering. It was amazing. Leicester defeat MK Dons, a fake team in a fake city that should never be there. Brighton, brighten it up. They lose to League One side Charlton, South London's finest. Brighton dominate and lose on penalties, 4-3. Nottingham Forest spank Blackburn Rovers. Beautiful stuff for our friends in Nottingham Forest. Man United defeat my beloved Vincent Company's Burnley. Good goal from uh, Marcus Rashford. Really nice stuff. Gerontro also had nice ones. Also playing well. And then City defeat Liverpool. 3-2 in the biggest matchup of the tournament. And that's where we're going to start. City and Liverpool going right back to it, leaving up and getting right back into their groove of the war against them. City did have a strong lineup. City always have a strong lineup. Holland, Palmer, Mares up front, De Bruyne, Rodri, Gundogan. That's our normal midfield. Akanji and Laporte in defense along with Ake. And then the youngster, Rico Lewis, who played really well. If you were wondering who that guy with the brown hair in the midfield was playing Cancelo's role, that was him. And then Ortega in goal. For Liverpool, they had Carvalho, Nunez, and Salah up front, along with Harvey Elevit and Bachastik, who was really poor. And Alcantara all got subbed off in this game. And then the defense of Robertson, Gomez, Matip, and Milner. First half was all City dominant and for the first 15 minutes. They get a goal almost right off from kickoff that Holland missed. Erling Holland then did score an amazing movement in the back. He tricks Gomez. He's moving one way. He goes another. Who else is on the cross but De Bruyne, who's not closed down on the wing in that three-quarter pass that Trent Alexander-Arnold does from about 15 yards deeper right onto Erling Holland, who does a half-volley karate kick. I mean, Holland is just... Holland. He's so fucking good. It's unreal. But then, you know, right as I was joking that um, um, that my friend Mr. Milner shouldn't be on the pitch against Palmer, Milner comes down the wing and passes it very smoothly and casually to Carvalho, who drifts inside Akanji and 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 Lewis and, and Laporte can't really find him, and Carvalho puts it in. Carvalho did have a touch game. He was getting bossed off the ball very often by Rodri and really had a hard time. So it's 1-1. Then we go into the second half. And again, we have the same thing. Another really nice goal from Riyad Mahrez on the classic. A raking ball right onto Riyad Mahrez's right foot. The touch is just fantastic outside of the boot. And then he slams it home with his left. And you just knew it was going in. And there's City looking good. They're up 2-1. On the ensuing kickoff, down goes Nunez, who had four chances and should have scored three of them. Well, at least one. Uh, He beats Laporte for pace, moves on to Salah. Ake's running back, can't really mark Salah. Salah slots at home, no problem. Then... Ake almost puts it in from another amazing cross from Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne is angry. Kevin De Bruyne is fat. Kevin De Bruyne is fighting with teammates all over the place, but that is not translating onto the pitch. I don't know what's going to happen with him in Belgium, but he's still really fucking good, and he bossed this game, and the Liverpool midfield had to change. They, they in fact, had to get rid of the whole group. Henderson, Oxlade-Chamberlain, and Keita, and Fabinho all came on. They had to replace the whole group, uh, especially if Milner came off injured. But it was too late. 
Ake on the header, short short corner, and um, De Bruyne smart play right onto the head of Ake. City take the lead 3-2. And while Liverpool will feel hard done because Nunez had four chances, two that he pulled wide, one was really egregious, especially to tie it probably on the 60th minute, maybe 70th minute, and he just shot it wide. He was in on his own. Uh, I think he'll get there. I think he's nervous. I think, you know, Holland has made it difficult for Nunez to... Holland has made it difficult for Nunez to seem, you know, to get an easy transition because he's been so incredible. But Liverpool fans should know that Holland is doing everything right. Sorry, that Nunez is doing everything right. He's making the right runs. He's getting in behind. He's taking the shots. What you don't want is him shooting. You don't want him to get into a Werner position where he's afraid. He's still playing confidently. It's just that his he's snatching at his shots, and they'll get there. And I'm glad he didn't get there today, but I have a feeling that Nunez will come good. He's too good not to, and Klopp is too good of a coach to not have it happen. So that's the Carabao Cup, a second-rate cup, to be fair. Not the most important thing in the world, but fun if you win it and you write it off if you lose. <laughs> you know. And it was nice to beat Liverpool. I was so happy just to have that happen. But in the quarterfinals, the quarterfinals matchups come right out. And in the quarterfinals, we have Man United v. Charlton at Old Trafford on January 10th. Exciting for Charlton, a League One team, to have that against United. United are getting lucky, getting a chance. Newcastle play Leicester. That should be good the way Leicester have improved over the last month. Last, sorry, not last month. The last 10 games, maybe seven games, that becomes a better matchup. Who knows if James Madison will be on Leicester at that point. Then City gets Southampton at St. Mary's. Never an easy game for City, especially the way this season is going. And then Nottingham Forest get Wolves at home. So that should be good as well. So that puts away our friends at the Carabao Cup. And now we're going to start chatting about um, where we are in the Premier League. So when we were last in the Premier League, we last played on November 12th before Thanksgiving. And the big news that weekend had been that Brentford behind Ivan Tony, had gone to the Etihad and defeated Manchester City. My beloved Manchester City had lost to the great and powerful Brentford and Ivan Tony. We also had another big matchup of Newcastle defeating Chelsea. Sorry, of Newcastle defeating Chelsea. That was the third loss in the last six for Graham Potter. There's some questions there. Tottenham had a barn burner versus Leeds. That's when we really found out a little bit more about our beloved uh, our beloved Leeds. Um, you know, we really love Leeds. Leeds is a fun little team. But at that point, Rodrigo Betancourt had been playing the role of hero. He pulled, he pulled Spurs out of that one. Spurs had been pulling games out of their ass, uh, and they did in that one. So we were there. And... Oh, sorry about that. Just got myself mixed up in five other things. And Arsenal had beat Wolves in a pretty easy game. So 
the league had been in decent shape and everybody was just getting back into into form. Arsenal has a five-point lead. Let me just go back through it. Brentford had beat Man United. Nottingham Forest had a big win against Crystal Palace. Leicester had beat West Ham. West Ham are just one point above the drop. Bournemouth defeated Everton in a really bad loss for Lampard's men. Liverpool had defeated Southampton. Tottenham had a big game versus Leeds. Again, Betancourt, a dominant performance by Newcastle against Chelsea. Then away, Arsenal had defeated Wolves. And then on the Sunday, before we all broke up, Aston Villa under Unai Emery. Remember, good evening. Unai Emery is the coach of Aston Villa, replacing Steve Gerrard. Um, and Man United had defeated Fulham, a good and game Fulham team, but that was a good performance. So that's, those were the last results. The narrative was, wow, are Arsenal going to win the league? They have a five-point lead. Wow, look at Newcastle United. They only have one loss. Wow, Tottenham get, pulling games out, a very gut-check game. They've got four losses, but just the two draws, and they're fighting. And then the Ten Hag experience at United is still in that in the hunt for the top four, and Liverpool languishing just having a hard time, but had righted the ship somewhat while Brighton's early game, Potter leaving, Deserby in place, has them level on points on 14 matches with Potter's Chelsea. So Tuchel got fired a long time ago. Potter's been there, and they're still sputtering where they are. The favorites and darlings of the league, Fulham at nine on 19 points, tied with Brentford on 19 and Crystal Palace on 19. Make up the middle of the table table on 9, 10, 11. Aston Villa following behind them, getting good results under Unai Emery. I think they won two in a row for the first time in ages. Then Leicester at 13, in 13th with 17 points, but the eight losses, leading the league almost in losses, but have not been getting any draws. Still a high-performing, high-octane offense, but have been leading the league in goals against. Then Gary O'Neill's Bournemouth sitting in 14th with a minus 14 but that they don't care. They've got the points. And um, they're on 16 points, followed by Leeds at 15 on 15, uh, with West Ham and Everton both on 14 and 16th and 17th, respectively. The drop zone includes Nottingham Forest on 13, Southampton on 12, and Wolves on 10, all on 15 games. So that is where we are. That is what the table looks like. We set the narrative and return to the Premier League on Boxing Day. Arsenal sit top with a five-point lead. But, 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 they have lost Gabriel Jesus to a knee injury that he picked up during the World Cup. This is going to be their first major injury that they have to deal with. Um, Jesus had not been scoring goals, but he had been doing everything else. He had been knitting things together. He had been making runs. And the midfield had picked up the slack on scoring goals, specifically uh, Odegaard had been really scoring, and Saka, we know, is a fantastic player, and Martinelli. So I think Arsenal have the pieces there, but their new player who'd been really driving them forward is missing, and we, they're going to find out if Eddie Nketiah, uh, he of 76 games and only like nine ga- goals scored, can get a hold of Arsenal and at least provide some level of facsimile to keep Arsenal going to defeat West Ham and allow them a Boxing Day victory. They're, for them, it's going to be one game at a time. Arsenal just want to get the win and keep moving. There's, the longer, for them, it's a holding pattern. 
the longer they can keep that stiff arm of five points, that buffer off of Manchester City, my beloved Manchester City, and keep them at arm's length. Every week means less points to gain, means one less game. For Arsenal, they have to manage this campaign. If they want to win it, they've just got to keep pace with City so that when the time comes, and they do have the two head-to-head matchups against Arsenal because we had a cancellation for the Queen's death, that they can lose one of them or draw both of them. Because if they can avoid head-to-head losses against City, then they can keep their lead and keep playing the way they've been playing. City, on the other hand, are preordained. For City, anytime they don't win is a catastrophe. Anything they do, they're supposed to win. City's narrative is, you're expected to win this league. You're going to win this league. We're not even at the halfway point, right? Some cities on 14, most teams are on 15. So the Queen's death is still reflected in the table. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to go through each team. For City, it's Holland. If we don't win the league, if City don't win the league, it's a complete disaster and we're losers. That's really where it is. Uh, this is how every season is, every weekend is. For City, if you don't win this league, you have failed, even though it's the hardest league in the world and we hear that every day. Okay, let's just keep that in mind. Uh, Newcastle United sitting in third, a legit third. This is a team that defends first. Shar, Botman, Trippier, Burn, Learnham, Noam, Beam, along with Pope, have made this team very, very tough to beat. Then in the midfield, you've got Gumarish pulling the strings, and then Linton and Willock running everyone down, closing everything down. And then on the other side, on the wings, you've got our man Almiron scoring goals along with, um, you know, whoever they can have up front who's not hurt at the moment. Uh, Almiron has been scoring the goals, but um, uh, Willock, sorry, I'm trying to find Callum Wilson, excuse me. Callum Wilson scoring the goals. They've got St. Maximum back. We're waiting on Isak to come back. Chris Wood's doing the work he can do. You know, they're just finding a way. Uh, and Almiron's goals have really done everything for them along with, they have a superstar in Gumaresh. I wonder, though, there is a question about whether the team has outgrown some of the players that got them to where they are. Like, how long is Chris Wood for this team? How long is Alan St. Maximin's kind of flary, individualistic, non-team kind of flaky player? I love him. But these types of players are on the fringe and available for someone like Newcastle before the purchase for a reason. Uh, say Maximen is one of those players. He's just kind of out there. Uh, I mean, I like him. I think he's great. But there are, there are, there are, there is things that they need to do. I think to me, you know, Willock and and the hardworking Joe Linton just make the team go. There's a level of athleticism and fight that make Newcastle one of the best teams in the league. And I love watching them. They're fun to watch. They're tough. They are actually third in goal difference against in XG against. So that just goes to tell you that they're a legit team. Uh, Next up, we have Spurs. You know, Mike and I have a lot of arguments about Spurs. They've lost three of their last five. They're the worst team of the top four in the form table. Newcastle have are on a five-game winning streak. (laughs) So just to keep that in mind, I mean, Newcastle are really flying. Um, Tottenham are starting and stopping. 
uh, the, the lack of Kulishevsky. How is how is Harry Kane going to handle the miss? Where is Sonny with his broken face? Is he okay? So Spurs have the most weight around their top four uh, gravitas. Are they there? Are they going to be okay? Uh, how's the defense doing? Is Conte going to sign a new contract? Again, when things go bad, Conte grumbles. We'll see if they can get a couple wins in a row and then kind of get themselves back on the schneid. Hugo Lloris comes off a World Cup final where, you know, frankly, he he was okay. But again, he didn't save one penalty. You know, you have the juxtaposition of Martinez dancing around. Spurs have the most negative narrative. But they're again, you know how the Premier League is. They're two wins away. Their XG is fourth. So their actual quality is where they should be. And, you know, we'll just see where they are. United are dead middle. Their XG for and against is 20 and 20. They're not scoring enough, and they lose Cristiano. But they do have Rashford now. Martial is back. Uh, they have to figure out what's going on with Jaden Sancho. Ten Hag has sent them away from the team. He's got to get his confidence back. He's a young kid. They spent 80, 90, 100 million dollars on him, and he's not playing. Garancho. Looks like another player who's inching into his spaces. So we'll see what that means for Sancho. I think right now, not making the World Cup, not playing well, getting his move is not doing well for him. And uh, City looked like geniuses because when City let him go to Dortmund, it was because they didn't really like his attitude and where he was. So can they get Sancho back? I think... No Cristiano really helps United solidify who they are. As long as Bruno and Eriksen and Casemiro are in the midfield for United, I like where they are. I think they're fine. Um, Harry Maguire had a really good World Cup. I thought that he was fine. He had one one little mishap, but that'll do world of that'll do a world of confidence for for the for the United defense. Uh, there is a defensive issue right now. I saw Casemiro was playing in defense during. Um, during this Carabao Cup run where they beat Burnley, but I don't know what that means. I'd have to find out a little bit more about where United are in terms of injuries. And just give me a second. I'll, I'll have a look about what's going on with United on the injury front. Um, let's see here. Manchester United versus Forest. They have Forest, which is a good fixture for the 27th. They shouldn't feel too hard done by that, but as I click in and I have a look about where they are, yeah, McTominay, Casemiro, Casemiro's in defense. Let's see. For United, right, 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 right. So of course, now I now that I put it together, United's issue are in defense because Lissandra Martinez and Varane were in the World Cup final. Uh, we don't know about Maguire, so that's most of their top defenders unavailable. So we'll see Casemiro and Lindelof along with Malasia and Shaw, because Dallo was playing with Portugal in the round of 16. We'll see how those players come back into fitness. But right now, a little bit of an injury crisis for the top pairing at United. So Maguire, my guess is he'll likely get in there pretty quickly, uh, or, or it'll be Lindelof and Casemiro again. But the front four is looking good with Garancho, Fernandez, and Marchal, and then Erickson and McTominay will step into the midfield to try and hold things down. I'm not so worried about United against... Um, uh, Forest, so wouldn't be worried too much there. You know, Forest are in the bottom three. 
So they just have to be where they are for now. Now we on to Liverpool. Liverpool just come off of a relatively poor performance against City. No Van Dijk. Uh, Matip played played well. Joe Gomez got a little exposed. Uh, James Milner running up and down in the wing is hurt and out. Um, we saw Nunez missing. We saw Salah. Uh, Diaz is out for the rest of the season. He had a, a massive setback. So Liverpool, I think, have their work cut out for them. This is about survival for Liverpool this season. I think that they've got to consolidate, get their play together, get their defensive structure back together. They're, they're not that bad in defense, honestly. They're not that far off, but... You know, their underlying numbers are top five. They're minus three expected goal difference. Brighton are ahead of them. So just to give you context, Brighton's underlying play is almost as good as Liverpool's. Um, So they're sputtering and they're having problems in the wrong places. So once they get Allison and Van Dyke back in action, they can feel more confident about where they are. But for them, it's about winning. They cannot lose any more games. Four losses is... A lot for this portion of the season. That's four losses in 14 games with four draws. That's a lot of games dropping points. So Liverpool have their work cut out for them. They've got to get themselves together. Firmino's out. He's been their top goal scorer all year, and they sit in seventh. Wow. On to Brighton. Brighton have had the best World Cup ever. So they're two of their players, um, Caicedo for Ecuador, who were the best team not to get out of the group stage, in my opinion. Ecuador f- were fantastic. Uh, behind Castillo and Estupian, who both play for Brighton. And then we had um, Alexis McAllister playing in the midfield every game for Argentina and is now a World Cup champion. Brighton just made, I don't know, $100 million just in this World Cup. So they sit there with World Cup champion experience in their midfield. They still have the same problem. They just had it again. They just played um, Charlton in the Carabao Cup, and they couldn't score a fucking goal. I don't know how they're going to find a goal scorer. I don't know what they're going to do to find a goal scorer. God love Danny Welbeck. He's fantastic. Trossard does the best he can, but he is ultimately a winger who pretends he's a goal scorer. They just need someone like Olivier Giroud. to play in Brighton. I'd love to see Giroud in Brighton. He'd be great. But maybe he doesn't run enough. But just some kind of body, a youngster, Broha, anything, something like that that can get Brighton to score goals. They are way performing. They're in seventh. They're doing great. They still are on 21, um, and we'll see where they are. They had been slipping down. They had been in fourth up until a few weeks ago. But for Brighton, it's about style of play, finding a goal scorer, taking on Deserby's ideas, and getting onto the next team and selling their next player and creating a market for McAllister so that they can get and move up the chain and spend $30 million on a striker after they sell Alexis for $60 million to Manchester United. Next up is our beloved Chelsea. Chelsea are in a little bit of disarray. They have hired a director of football. Uh, I have to look that up exactly what his name was. Um, They have... Only one, two wins in their last five. Mason Mount did not have a good World Cup. They're winless in their last five. Two draws, three defeats. Uh, not playing well. Coming off the loss against uh, Newcastle. They're not playing well. And the problems that plagued them before are still plaguing them. 
They do not have a creative midfielder to unlock all their strikers. Whoever those strikers are, they're just not functioning. <laughs> and so uh, Potter's had time, which is nice. They actually have a negative XG difference, and they're on zero, same as Man United, 17 goals for, 17 goals against. They haven't given up much. They can't score. Mason Mount, everyone loves him. Every coach loves him because he runs. He has positional flexibility. He can shoot. He's good on a set piece. He does not have an unlocking forward pass. That's his weakness. He's not creative enough between he and Jorginho. They just don't get enough creativity out of the midfield. Even Kovacic is a carrier runner, very similar to Mason Mount. What they need is a is a creative ten, is a is a Fernandez, is a is a Fabregas, is a is an Ozil, is a De Bruyne. They're missing a crack midfielder to unlock all those forwards. So that's where Chelsea's problem is. No matter what fucking forward they get, it's not going to make a difference. They have Aubameyang. They can't get him scoring. All their creativity was coming from their wingers in Reese James and Chilwell, and both of them that got hurt. So those crosses, all that creativity, all those passes from the three-quarter spaces on the left or right side is gone. And so they can't create anything. So Chelsea are hurting because they built their team around these creative fullbacks that are not, or wingbacks that are not playing. And they're not getting any creativity out of the midfield. Very difficult to score when no one puts the ball in a path for a player to score, or they don't do it frequently enough so that the chances missed are magnified. I'm talking to you, Kai Havertz. You miss everything. Germany knows you suck too now. But Chelsea were experimenting with Broja. Broja is out. He's an actual striker, a nine. They always look better when he played because he really just occupied that middle space. cucurella has been shit for them. So it's been tough uh, for them, and we'll see what Chelsea can do. Hopefully the time off can get Reese James and Chilwell back in. All they need is one of them, uh, and their whole offense will start to, to kick off. Um, been disappointed somewhat in Connor Gallagher, but again, he's a... He's also in the mold of Mason Mount. He's a worker, a runner, a carrier, a very English midfielder, not a line-breaking passer. Anyway, that's Chelsea in eighth. Fulham, feel-good story of the season. They're in good shape. Marco Silva loves this team. Again, Pereira is the type of guy that Chelsea need. Uh, and then they have that killer Paulinha in defense who's holding the whole thing down. And they have something that most of the teams in the Prem really would love, and that's Mitrovic. Mitrovic, Mitrovic, he's third in the league in scoring or fourth. Uh, he's hurt still. Uh, he had he, he he toughed it out during the World Cup, but Serbia probably were disappointed and really probably would rather have more than what they were. Uh, Fulhamont came off, coming off two losses, but they're in good shape in mid-table. Uh, Brentford also right behind them. Brentford are in trouble. Um, Ivan Tony has something like 250 counts of gambling alleged against him 250 probably says he did it why is this important you gambling is legal in the uk but as a footballer you cannot gamble on football directly um kieran trippier was giving information to a friend i I think accidentally and got a seven month ban so i'm thinking i think the the ruling for evan tony comes down on january 10th Ivan Tony is going to miss a year. Easy. Unless they appeal and do a bunch of other shit. But Brentford with Tony are fine. Without Tony are in trouble. They're coming off their best one of the year. They 
single-handedly beat uh, City, and you know some of their players did really well in the cup. Crystal Palace in 11th, a team you guys know if you listen to the show. I love this team. I love this team. They're fun. They're Londoners. They're South London. They represent their area. You have Zaha. You have Ize. You have Alessi. They 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 have a they have uh, you know Patrick Vieira. They represent their neighborhood. I love how British and black and and Londoner they are when they roll out all their skill players and all their flash players. It just looks like a fun team to be in. Uh, aside from when Zaha is complaining and rolling around, they should be better than they are. I feel like they should score more goals. I'm not sure what's going on there. I always expected more from Edson Adward, but Palace are where they are. In 12th, Aston Villa. They survive the poor play, the sort of meandering sadness of the last few months of of um the last few months of Gerard, who I really did think was going to be a good manager, but it just seems to have left him. Unai Emery comes in. They get the 3-1 at home against United on November 6th and then defeat my beloved Brighton on the 13th. Two wins put Aston Villa in the driver's seat. All of a sudden, they look like they can play. They have the players. Aston Villa's good. Mike and I have been talking about how good Aston Villa were all season. So they're right there. I see them vaulting up the table. If they don't finish in the top half, I would be completely shocked. I could see them finishing in seventh. Honestly, they're that good. Unai Emery is a real coach. Great little club. I'd love to see Ollie Watkins get unlocked. I'd love to see Ollie Watkins uh, freed up, maybe as a single striker up front and say goodbye to Danny Ings, who's, you know, maybe it's time for Danny Ings to go to Brighton. That would be awesome. Uh, Maybe he wants a move. I don't know. Uh, It seems that Tyrone Mings should be the captain and be given that back. After Villa comes their mid-Sidley friends. I'm just trying to give a rundown of where we are with every team. Leicester City, one of the highest scoring teams in the league, but also give up the most. They are have won four of their last five. Brendan Rodgers for president. <laughs> uh, really a, a show of our friend and yours, Mr. James Madison, seven and four, carrying the team. Harvey Barnes chopping, chipping in six. They've gotten themselves back together, and the big difference was Vate Valkars. Um, just an outstanding defender. They found one. They had been, you know, just flailing around after the Fofana left and they sold him. And when they found, why don't I find his name? Where's, where's his name? Vout Veghorst? Uh, I want to make sure I have his name right. And I'm looking for him on the team sheet. And weirdly, he's not here. What the hell is that about? Uh, I don't know why that, why I can't find his name. Oh, there he is. no. No, I haven't found him. Anyway, uh, Vardy still fighting off Pats and Daka. Pats and Daka has been coming off the bench. There he is. Vout Feiss. Sorry. Uh, the Belgian defender completely transformed this team. And then Danny Ward stopped looking like the worst goaltender in the league. He's put himself together. Uh, I was worried for them, but they really put it back together. I mean, basically since mid-October, uh, they've only lost once, winning six, giving up nothing. They've stopped giving up goals in amazing in, in all competitions. They have four shutouts in a row. So Leicester look like they've righted the ship. Teams aren't as bad as you think. If they're good, they're actually good. So Leicester uh, look to, to solidify and try and finish in the top half. Bournemouth under Gary O'Neill have been great. 
They've been punching above their weight. They've been getting very, very lucky. They're on minus 14. A lot of that, frankly, was the uh, 9-0 that they suffered under Parker. But they've been fighting their way through, uh, playing well. Um, you know, the player I love is is Billing, the giant six foot three central midfielder with the poofy hair. He just comes on, and when he shoots, the shit is shot. So keep an eye on him, Philip Billing, their midfielder, 26 years old, four goals, mostly from outside the box. Really, really good. Tavernier's also really good for them, and they have been fighting the good fight. They seem to play the same group over and over again. The more we see Kiefer Moore, the better. I really love Kiefer Moore. Uh, we were always afraid of him in the Wales group during the World Cup. He, he almost scored against Newcastle uh, in their Carabao Cup tie that they lost 1-0. So even that's a good performance. 1-0 versus Newcastle for, for Bournemouth is good. I mean, Newcastle are a fantastic team. But they look like they have a set 11 of Lerner, Smith, Tavernier, Meepham, Cook, Billing, Solanke, Sensi, Zamora. That group has been playing regularly uh, and scoring goals. So that's the big thing for them. They're still working their way through, but it looks to me like Gary O'Neill, and if I got his name wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed, um, <laughs> uh, who actually has been named the permanent manor, manager of Bournemouth. Other big news for Bournemouth, their sale went through. They have been sold to the owner of the Golden Knights of Las Vegas. So a Las Vegas um, uh, investor and entrepreneur, older guy, uh, he sees the value in Bournemouth. He sees them going through. I believe they had a weird owner that, a weird, a weird sub owner who was part of the investment group. I can't remember what it is, but Bournemouth have a new owner, new money, another American. That makes, I believe, 12 American. Let me see. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, uh, Bournemouth, um, that's five, six American owners. It's getting close. We have to be worried about that because, uh, the league votes based on equal votes for every team. Once you get to 14, you can really start fucking with the league. So if we're worried about pro rel disappearing from the premier league, we want less Americans in the league. So that's another American owner. I'm sure there's more, maybe Villa. I don't even know. Um, but we keep going. Bournemouth, Leeds. Leeds we know. Jesse Marsh is a madman. We saw Tyler Adams. They're going to miss him while he recovers and gets himself back in order. Aronson gets himself back in order. They need wins. They play wild games. They give up a lot of goals. But they're probably the most fun, bonkers team in the league. Their XG says they shouldn't be where they are, but they are. They're on even XG, but giving up more goals than, you, than you'd expect. Uh, Somerville really changed their the fortunes of their seasons. Leads on two big wins, especially the 4-3 versus Bournemouth, which was bananas, and the 2-1 versus Liverpool, also bananas. And they also had a bananas game versus, versus Tottenham. So they've been playing three or four th crazy games in a row, and we've got an and 3-2 versus Fulham. Just lots of goals, lots of attacking flair. Uh, Somerville player of the season for them came in completely changed the team and they have Ngoto, the italian african little winger there's a lot of young players coming through marsh is just when you listen to him talk you're ready to run through a wall for him yes he's american yes he's weird but he's 
he's the good things about America. And I think it's good for England to have that kind of optimistic craziness that uh, Americans have that they just don't know how to handle. They're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you trying to be my friend? Don't be nice to me. In 16th, West Ham. What the fuck is going on with West Ham? I'll tell you what. They have their two leading goal scorers are Gianluca Samaka and Jaron Bowen on two. They're not scoring goals. West Ham only have 12 goals, given up 17. So the defense is still really strong. Their XG is down. They are expected to have 18 and only have 12. They're just not finishing off their chances. Jared Bowen's not firing. They're in the middle of transition. I trust this team to get out of it, but you're only as good as your record. They have a plus three XG goal difference, and they're in 17th. There's no way a team this good should be this bad. So uh, I would expect they won't have a problem, and Moyes will get this team going. The key thing for him is to make sure the team does not quit on him or feel worried about where they are because they're playing well. They're just not getting results, and that's hard for the team to look at. Their XG says 18 and 15, which would put them, you know, as a plus three, which would put them right, you know, right in eighth place as a plus three goal difference. But they can't seem to get it right. And then uh, underneath them is the opposite, is um, is Everton, who are a minus 10, getting less goals, giving up way less because Pickford has stood on his head. Everton should be better than they are. I don't think they'll go down, but they are in 17th. So they are where they are. Uh, Onana's been good. They need... DCL, who has had this break, thank God, to get back in and firing. He's only played 300 minutes all season, only four starts. Uh, the experiment of my of my sodomizing friend, Mope, he's got one goal. That's not good enough. But I love Tarkovsky. I love Iwobi. I love Gray. I love Connor Cody, Onana, Anthony Gordon, Adrisa Gay. This is a good group. McNeil's even chipped in. But they need those goals. And without Decore, I forgot about. They need those goals. And without those goals, they're in trouble. Um, they just need to find a way to score goals. They've got the right players. They've got the right mix. There's no reason they should be where they are. The only thing I can think of with our beloved Everton is, is Frank Lampard a good coach? We already found out about, um, about Gerard, And I don't know if Lampard is even that good. Um you know, Everton is a big club. There are managers. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti last year was managing Everton. Right? Right? Rafa Benitez was managing Everton. So there are good managers. This is a big name club. And if and if Frank Lampard has any slip whatsoever, there'll be another big manager to come take his job. Shit. I mean, I know we kid around and 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 um and Mike would love to see Pochettino return to Spurs, but Pochettino might go to Everton. Why not? That's a good job for him. Anyway, uh, in 18th is Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest, we know, we know, we know. They signed 24 billion players, blah, blah, blah. But this World Cup break makes a good time for Steve Cooper to almost have a training camp, get this team together. They played well in the Carabao Cup. We should always see Taiwo Awoni. We should always see Brendan Johnson. There are players in this team that should be playing. I don't know why they signed all those players. I'll never understand it. It's a tough gig. I feel like they need to transfer players in, out that they already transferred in. Uh, <laughs> so that's where they are. And then Southampton, all the young kids, they fire Hasenhutl. I don't even know who their coach is. I should know. I'm embarrassed to not know. But we don't know what's going on with this team. 
Che Adams has scored two goals the other day, but Southampton, for me now, are relegation fodder. Um, I'd expect to see them go down, honestly. Uh, they're not good. And then Wolves, who we talked about early in the season, this team can't score. They've scored eight goals all season. Ruben Nieves leads a team with four. He has half the team's goals. He's a deep-lying midfielder. Most of them are on penalties. Um, but they do sign Marcus Acuna. He's available for Wolves. They've been trying as many strikers as possible. They did fire um, Bruno Lage. And they do have Lopetegui. Lopetegui, who has won everything at the youth level with Spain, was managing Real Madrid not that long ago and the Spain national team. So Lopetegui is there. He's at Wolves. We'll see where they are. Uh, Jose Sa is not playing over his head. So that says to me, they're just, you know, they were so, so lucky. He was plus 10 unexpected goals as a goalkeeper, which is massive. And now they're just kind of regular. Um, they do have some World Cup uh, hangover. We know Roman Seiss, who was incredible for Morocco, will be on this team and we'll have to see what he's up to. We saw uh, Huang He Chen play great for Korea, but these guys have to come in and do really, really, really well to turn this team around. Um, this team is another team. Too good to go down. There's a lot of teams that feel too good to go down. Uh, if I'm looking at the table and I and I'm thinking this through and I'm wolves and I'm calculating this thing out. I'm going, I want to see the back of Southampton. I want to see the back of Nottingham forest. And I want to see the back of Bournemouth. I'm looking at number 14 in the table in Bournemouth and I'm in 20th and I go, we're going to take that team spot. And that's all I'm doing game by game. One team ahead of me. I'm going after those teams. You really have to be ruthless. You really have to go after and move your team out of the relegation zone because it can be really, really scary down there. And the fear creeps into your team and you start to fall apart. So we've gone through every team in the table, given a little summary about where they are, what they can do, how they can be. So we know where we are, the last round of fixtures, we know that the boxing, we know where people are on the table. Let's go through the fixtures that we're actually going to see from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. This is match week 17. This is the festive fixture period. Festive fixture period. Let's have a look. So on Boxing Day, the early game is our beloved... Spurs versus uh, Brentford, I think. I have to, I'm trying to get down to it. Okay, hold on. Yes. Spurs versus Brentford is the first game. We know that Brentford at home is tough. This will be a tough game for Spurs. They're, Brentford have not lost Ivan Tony yet. They're going to go to war. I think, you know, Tottenham will be happy to win this game. A draw would not be a bad result, I'm telling you. This is a tough game. Then the midday fixtures, the traditional football, Boxing Day, Monday, 3 p.m. fixtures. I mean, people are going to be wearing Christmas costumes. It's one of the great days for working class people across England. Uh, this is the 
the rest of the world watches England play because they're the only country that play at this time. Brighton versus Southampton at uh, St. Mary's. Uh, Brighton would expect to win. This is a tough game, though. South, South Mar- uh, St. Mary's is always tough. I don't even know who the manager of Southampton is. I can't remember who they hired. <laughs> some kind of some kind of pun that I am. But the Zerbi will have his boys ready. And the key for Brighton is, can they convert their chances? Can they convert their chances? And with Southampton, they're the most Jekyll and Hyde team there is. They have good defenders, but they can just blow games and you don't know what's going to happen. Good game at the King Power, also at the 3 p.m. kickoff. Leicester versus Newcastle. Newcastle, the informed team in the league, along with Leicester. Both the two best teams in the league right now. Uh, Leicester only have one loss in their last 10. And um, Newcastle, five unbeaten in the league, coming off the win against Chelsea. Then, Crystal Palace, Fulham. Really good game. Should be rocking at Crystal Crystal Palace, Fulham, a London Derby. These two teams are relatively close to each other. Big, big game. And then a six-pointer, relegation six-pointer. Everton Wolves, Everton at home. I can't, uh, Lopetegui's first game in charge. I can't imagine Everton losing at home to Wolves, but this could be an ugly nil-nil draw. Then another tough game, the last game on Boxing Day, the second to last game, 5.30 kickoff in the UK. Villa at home versus Liverpool under Unai Emery. My guy. Mr. Klopp must be like, God damn it, we play Liverpool now, Villa. On... There's no weak games. And then last game on Boxing Day is Arsenal versus West Ham at the Emirates. Um, you'd expect Arsenal to win this the way they've been playing. West Ham, very dour, very defensive. David Moyes still has not won a game at a top six team ever. Is that true? So you'd expect history to be on Arsenal's side. Uh, but it is a London Derby. It is Christmas. Weird things happen. Uh, Tuesday, Chelsea take on Bournemouth. This has got to be a get-off-the-schneid game for Potter. Potter loses this. I'm not even being funny. He could start th- – he'll lose the fans. So Chelsea have a big game against Bournemouth. Bournemouth playing with house money. These aren't the games they're looking for for points. Then United at home against Nottingham Forest. Forest away are a different animal. At home, they have the crowd. They have the fight. But United at home after the World Cup – no Ronaldo distractions. Ten Hag getting into the team. You'd expect United to pull this one out. And then Wednesday to end the match week 16 fixtures. And we'll talk about these more on Monday. Uh, United, Leeds United versus Manchester City. Leeds have been annihilated by City in their last few games. Something like 11-0 in aggregate. Just really, really badly defeated by City. Uh, I would expect City to, to really do well here. And if City lose two in a row, I mean... It's getting near cuckoo time where any loss is a bad loss. So City's last two games versus Leeds, 7-0 and 4-0 to City. So very, very heavy defeats for Leeds. And that, friends, is the Boxing Day fixtures. Wow. We're really just blasting through these things. Um, One other note. During... The break during the world's the the World Cup break, Cristiano Ronaldo's contract with Manchester United was terminated, and he is no longer with Manchester United. Portugal benched him during their comeback wins. He did not find a club to play with. And Lionel Messi 
won the World Cup. This has been the winter of discontent for Cristiano Ronaldo. And Father Time, again, is undefeated. And sadly, he's going out, you know, not as you'd want to. Uh, he's going to be in Saudi Arabia. He's going to get some two-year contract worth like $150 million a year. Some crazy contract to then become the ambassador for Saudi Arabia to try and get the World Cup the next time it's available, whatever. I don't think we'll see that happen anytime soon. Um, but um, Cristiano's legacy is now, we've now closed the book on his European adventure. And we can start to think about where he is in the ranking of players. And he's an all-time great. He's an all-time winner. Um, but the thing that made him great is also made his end unseemly. And United fans, if you really got them into the corner, they'd probably say, I would rather he had not come back. Uh, because I think he derailed Ole and he derailed Ten Hag to start. And he kind of messed up Rashford and he messed up Bruno. And he kind of just made United sell shirts and make money, but not really help the team, ultimately. Uh, and he has, and he was like way for Juventus. So really, he's been in decline for at least four years now. Um, and you know, we have to start thinking about what football looks like in a post Messi Ronaldo bipolar world. Um, and I think we're seeing it. Right, we're seeing Messi get his World Cup. We're seeing Ronaldo bow out. Uh, Messi is now unplacable. He's untouchable. There's nothing else he can do. He's in PSG. He's got his things. I don't think anything matters for him anymore. Uh, but for Ronaldo, he now sort of has to lick his wounds and really think about what he did, what he did at the end, how his personality is. Can he? Does he become Jordan and kind of this grumpy, vengeful grudge to pick kind of guy and sort of get weirder and, and elusive and wear big pants? Or does he go the Kobe route where he takes players under his wing and kind of says, hey, this is how I did it. This is the mentality I took and become a bit more magnanimous and really throw himself into what his next thing is going to be. And that's the question for Cristiano. I'm hoping that he goes down the Kobe route where he has a little bit of more self-reflection and starts to go, oh, I'm a girl dad. I'm a this. I'm a, you know, I can be something else. Or does he go down the Jordan path of he's a shitty owner who has no friends and doesn't really seem likable or anything, right? Like he's just an asshole and he got his last dance, but really showed what a dick he is. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Anyway. That is it. I'm going to try and coax Max, Mac, uh, um, <laughs> Mike back onto the show for next week. But that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Mike Slater and Ron 13. We are the football wing of the Chopport Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show so we can reach more people like yourself. Football Monday, Boxing Day, get involved.